Hello everyone, we'd like to welcome you to our new episode of the Ranka Premier Podcast, the world of fan selection. I think an emerging market's ex-China allocation would make sense, but there's a big sort of caveat to that. It's slightly more difficult. And the reason why is that there are not that many vehicles that provide that exposure yet. My name is Carla Solera, and I am the Investor Relations Specialist here at Runcapro Europe. Today, we are going to talk about carving China out of emerging market equities with Richard Rainback, Fund Analyst at EFG Asset Management. Hello, Richard. How are you? How is everything going in London? Hi, Carly. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. And thank you very much for having me on the podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a pleasure. So, so yeah, as I said, uh, welcome to, to the Ranka Pro Europe podcast aimed at fund selectors. Um, because obviously it's a pleasure to, to have you here with us today. So, so yeah, let's enjoy this, this conversation. So, uh, this is for our listeners. So business wise, uh, Richard is a fund selection specialist currently with lead analyst responsibility for equity strategies, fixed income strategies and multi-asset. Um, Richard, please feel free to, you know, to add more about your professional background if you want to. And if not, we can go ahead with, with this podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So I've, I've been at EFG for um, almost two years now, exactly. Um, and, and yeah, as you say, sort of fairly generalist um, coverage. I cover different sectors within fi fixed income, uh, equity and um, multi-asset. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So uh, I think that we can start now. So uh, today, as I said at the beginning, today we are going to, to talk about carving China out of emerging market equities. Many investors are contemplating whether to separate China from the rest of their emerging market equity allocation. Chinese stocks have had to contend with market uh, volatility due to COVID-19 outbreaks and investor concerns over potential ripple effects of the Russian war, both in terms of global growth and the potential for sanctions if China is perceived to, to be supportive of Russia. So, Richard, um, we can say that Chinese equities have grown to a form, um, to form a huge part of uh, emerging markets index, but is China starting to break away from, from that group? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, China at the moment is just over 30% of the MSCI Emerging Markets Index. And it's going to get even bigger once the local A shares are included closer to what's known as a full allocation within the MSCI's indices. I mean, China's mm -hmm. market right now is what's second largest in the world, having mm -hmm. sort of more than doubled over the last five years. After the dot-com bubble burst in the early 2000s, the, the acronym BRIC, so Brazil, Russia, India, China, was used to refer to emerging markets that were expected to accelerate towards, I guess, developed status. Of these, China has diverged meaningfully away from the others in terms of growth. Um, if you look at the MSCI EM index, you know, Brazil's share has shrunk to about 6%. India has grown a little bit, but not in the same rate as China. And we all know what's happened with Russia. So, I mean, they're all still very strong, valid reasons for buying into China equities. But mm. given its stage in development, I think those reasons differ from the smaller economies within that index. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Richard. So, but um, but comparing the, the composition of China's equity market um, against those of other countries, how do, do they differ? So part of the reason behind 
the strong performance of China's equity market, and I'll refer to MSCI China index as an example, has been its composition. So if you look back mm-hmm. sort of two years ago, for example, um, two sort of China tech giants made up just over 30% of the index alone. You know, very much secular growth companies, and they've grown to become some of the largest companies on the planet. This phenomenon hasn't yet happened in other emerging markets. For example, if you look at Brazil, the top mm-hmm. five holdings are still very much cyclical companies. So banks, energy, materials, they make up around 45% of MSCI Brazil. India is similar, um, to a slightly lesser extent, given tech companies have grown a little bit in prominence. An interesting question though, is whether these emerging markets outside China really have the scope to tread the same path that China has already, I guess, laid for them. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Um, but um, what makes uh, these emerging markets outside China um, so attractive? I mean, what's what's your opinion on this? Yeah, so I think firstly, their stage in development and their potential future trajectories are the key points to highlight. I mean, I'm talking about markets like Brazil, South Africa, Chile, Peru, Indonesia, Mexico, Saudi. While these markets are at different stages in development to China, each of them has interesting opportunities that an active manager can seek to exploit. So to come back to my previous point, for example, we're starting to see e-commerce penetration in uh, South America and uh, in Southeast Asia, uh, fintech adoption across these countries, mm-hmm. um, tech advancements, as well as the traditional attractions of emerging markets like a rising middle class. Um, so secondly, the correlation of these kind of EMX China stock markets against China and even against the US, um, which is obviously a huge allocation with most equity portfolios, is, is fairly low. So mm-hmm. these markets can provide diversification benefits within an, a broad equity portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard, also, well, thank you. Thank you for for answering the question. So um, something that I would like to, to also know is um, how can asset allocators invest accordingly? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, if you assume China remains classified as an emerging market into the future, it will remain a large constituent of EM equity indices and therefore a large constituent of most active emerging markets funds. One simple way to carve out China will be to split an emerging market equity allocation into, I guess, two components. So China and emerging markets ex-China. So I guess this, this is quite similar to the concept of Asia X Japan, which was created, you know, in the kind of late 1980s, early 1990s, um, and resulted from the, the divergence of one constituent from the rest of the pack. And I think the same, for the same reasons, China could be an interesting sort of carve out out of emerging markets, um, so to invest separately. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Um, also, Richard, um, because uh, now it came to, to my mind, Mind. Uh, you previously mentioned um, the reasons why investors um, see this emerging market so so engaging, so interesting. Um, but the truth is, uh, realistically, how can investors carve out a separate China location? Yeah, no, it's, it's a very good question. So um, I, I guess to split into answer into two parts. Um, to talk firstly about the China equity allocation. Um, so I mean, China is a market where I think active managers have really proven their ability to add value over time, particularly in the less efficient A-share segment of the market. There are lots of very good active fund managers in this space. Mm-hmm. And I think despite a slight 
sort of downturn in sentiment from both foreign and domestic investors recently, which has resulted in obviously a fall in um, the market overall. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are some very good reasons why investing in China makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, therefore, I think making an allocation to an actively managed China equity fund that has the ability to invest in China A shares too. I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then. I think to tackle the second segment, so obviously you've got your China allocation, and then um, uh, I think an emerging markets ex-China allocation would make sense. But there's a big sort of caveat to that. It's slightly more difficult, and the reason why is that there are not that many vehicles that provide that exposure yet. You know, it's it still seems to be quite niche. Mm-hmm. There are a handful of emerging markets ex-China active managed funds that exist, um, and a few sustainability-focused emerging market equity funds that have a sort of structural huge underweight to China based on, you know, the perception of, you know, poor governance or poor um, social or environmental factors. But in reality, this niche sub-asset class, so EMX China, is still at quite an early stage. There are sort of several fund houses that are talking mm-hmm. about creating emerging markets ex-China active funds. So the concept is out there, certainly, um, and, and, there's, and there's certainly a few that have launched in fairly recently. I've got no doubt there will be a lot of launches in this space over the next decade. This could be quite an interesting space, assuming China mm-hmm. remains an emerging market. But in terms of my take on how to play it, I think I think selectivity within these markets is going to be very much the key. Um, mm-hmm. Owning the right stocks, not owning everything in the index makes sense. Um, you know, there will be some winners um, in, in these markets more so than others. So I think being yeah. active rather than buying a tracker, buying a ET, uh, passive ETF is the route to go. Mm-hmm. The job for you know, fund selectors like me will be firstly to decide whether they agree with mm-hmm. selecting their China allocation from the rest of emerging markets. And secondly, to decide whether a sufficiently credible emerging markets ex-China fund exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're you are totally right. So Thank you for for sharing your opinion on on this topic. I think it's a really interesting topic, and um, definitely um, we should you know read more about it and and uh, and yeah, uh, because obviously emerging markets and now with China and everything, it's it's really really interesting. So, Richard, now on top of of that, um, I would like to know more about your role and about you. So, what is your biggest challenge at EFG asset management? Of course, yeah. So, I mean, if I take to one side, I guess, portfolio management and asset allocation challenges right now, um, and focusing more on fund research and selection, I think, you know, the biggest challenge is, is at the moment is trying to ascertain which funds um, genuinely take ESG analysis very seriously and which ones are just saying that they do so. So, I mean, there, there are lots of fund houses out there that are classifying their funds with SFDR Article 8 labels, which you've probably heard quite a lot about, um, indicating basically that they integrate um, ESG into their, into their funds. It's part of our job as a fund selector to decide whether we agree with that label or not. Now, to come to a decision on that, it, I mean, for us, this entails deep dives into each fund's equity and sort of credit research processes to really understand what's going on underneath the bonnet um to understand you know how they're assessing esg um whether it's just risk management or whether comp- uh, funds are promoting companies that um or i guess bond issuers that um that have a positive esg impact um 
understanding the impact of any considerations from an ESG perspective on portfolio construction. So, you know, th these are just examples, but it's you know quite detailed work um, to form that opinion. I think it's an invaluable piece of work to carry out. And I'm sure lots of our peers um, across the fund research industry are doing the same. So mm -hmm. that's probably the biggest challenge and one of the most talked about challenges at the moment. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing, Richard. Um, thank you for, you know, for sharing your, your experience, opinion, well, um, everything on an important topic, as I said um, before. Um, well, uh, dear listeners, uh, since this podcast has has come to an end, I would like to, to thank Richard for his time with us. And above all, uh, thanks to you, uh, who is listening to, to us on this podcast um, on the world of fan selection. And yeah, and as I always say, I hope that these really interesting discussions get growing and we we'll look forward to the upcoming talks with more fan selectors. Thank you so much, everyone. And thank you, Richard. Excellent. Thank you very much. <laughs>